the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, God's justice comes to Abimelech and the men of Shechem who now betray and attack each other. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 9, verse 25. Once again, that's Judges chapter 9, verse 25. One of my favorite songs is Love Ran Red. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. Love that part because it talks about here, my hope is found. All that shame is gone. There's a place that takes care of all of that. Listen, I know what I deserve. That is not something I want to walk around with. I don't want to walk around with that laid on me because I know what I deserve because of that. So isn't it wonderful to know that that burden is gone? To know that we're set free, that we're washed and we're forgiven? Abimelech and these men of Shechem, they had it on them. And eventually that burden will break you. And so the Lord deals with them because of what they had done. So how did this betrayal start? Verse 25. And the men of Shechem, they set liars in wait for him in the top of the mountain. So They set an ambush, and these robberies were intended to hurt or kill Abimelech. However, it says they robbed everyone that came along the way by them, and it was told to Abimelech. So Abimelech knows that there are people from Shechem who want to kill him, but since he's not coming down, they're inflicting injuries to the economy. They're starting to hit caravans. They're starting to hit traders. Now, as you know, when the economy is bad, Peoples be unhappy. They are not happy with your rule because you don't have the funds to take care of things in the country. You don't have funds to pay your soldiers. Things start going downhill. But even though Abimelech's aware of this, he doesn't do anything. And so this inactivity, because he doesn't want to be killed by coming down personally, this inactivity emboldens some of the Canaanites that are in the area. Look at verse 26. And Gael, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers And they went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. Again, a summary statement. We'll get the details in a moment. Gael is a Canaanite name, and it mentions that when he and his brethren and he and his family, they came up to Shechem, that all the people started looking to him as their leader instead of Abimelech. Why? Verse 27. For it says, they went out into the fields and gathered their vineyards and trod the grapes, and they made merry, and then they went in the house of their God and did eat and drink and cursed Abimelech. So then Gael, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and who is Shechem, that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jeroboam, and Zebel his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for why should we serve him? 
And would to God this people were under my hand. Then I would remove Abimelech. And he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come on out. So here's the situation, all right? During a harvest festival, the entire city would gather together in their pagan temple to celebrate. And we're going to learn later on, this pagan temple was huge. It ended up not just being a celebration of the festival and worshiping their pagan gods for bringing in a good harvest, but it ended up being a roast of their king. Now, this guy, Gael, this Canaanite, who was visiting for the festival, he then took it a step farther. In verse 28, he says, who is Abimelech? And who is Shechem that we should serve him? Have we forgotten who we are? And who is this guy? See, Gael, being a Canaanite, had a very different view of Israeli history than the Jewish people did. He goes, who's Gideon's son? I don't know who that guy is. Is he any great leader from this land and from any ancient heritage? He's new. Wasn't Shechem great before Israel came here? Why are we serving him? He says, is he not the son, this guy, the son of Jerob, Baal? Isn't this guy the one who killed the God we worship? Didn't his dad do that? Why are we loyal to him? Is not Zebul his officer? Zebul was an Israeli that Abimelech appointed to run Shechem, not a Canaanite. So he says, why are we following his, you know, his crony? It's dead. We shouldn't just be roasting the king. We should rebel. Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. For why should we serve him, Abimelech? Now, Hamor was the original ruler of the city of Shechem, the original Canaanite ruler. You can find his story in Genesis 34. Remember when Jacob was living near Shechem and they were interacting with the people of Shechem, the Canaanites there, and Jacob's daughter Dinah had a fancy for Shechem. His name was Shechem, the son of Hamor. And Shechem ended up raping her, felt bad about it, and decided to make things right and went over to Jacob and said, I'd like to marry your daughter. But Jacob knew she'd been raped, but he was nervous because they outnumbered him. And so he went along with it. Two of her brothers were like, ah, no. Simeon Levi said, no way. And so they made a plan that when everything was great and everyone was toasting and celebrating for this, that they would come to their dad and say, don't agree to this, dad, unless they agree to be circumcised. We can't violate the Lord. The Lord, we're circumcised people. So Jacob went up to him and he goes, well, there is an issue here. He goes, you need to be circumcised for us to do this. And Shechem is going, I love her. Of course I'll do this. And so on the third day, when the pain would be the worst after grown men getting circumcised, the two brothers got the whole armed forces that Jacob had, and they went and killed every single one of them. So, (laughs) not exactly friendly relations between the people of Shechem, their ancestors, and Israel. And so this guy is like, why are we not serving our own people? Why are we serving these lackeys? And so he suggests, who's going to be our leader? He says, would to God, verse 29, this people were under my hand. Would to God I were in charge. If I were in charge, then I'd crush them. And so he actually utters a challenge right there to Abimelech. Increase your army and come out and fight me. Who's with me? And guess what? It works. With the people in Shechem supporting him, he sends a challenge to the king. But Zebul gets wind of this challenge, and he sends someone ahead of the challenge to advise Abimelech to strike before they can take control of the city. Look at verse 30. 
And when Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. He was angry. And he sent messengers unto Abimelech privately, secretly. He pretends to be in favor of Gaal's rebellion, or he's not going to do anything to stop it at least. But secretly he sends a message to Abimelech. And he says to him, Gael and the son of Ebed and his brethren become to Shechem, and behold, they're fortifying the city against you. They are trying to make it to where they're going to lay siege to the city and they're going to take control of it. They're going to make the people riot, stir them up, and I won't be able to stop it. So now, therefore, get up in the night, you and the people that are with you, and then lie and wait in the field. You need to get here fast. Zebul knows that he cannot control the situation for long. If the king doesn't come quickly, then Gaal will turn the entire city against Abimelech. They'll dig in, and then Abimelech will really have his hands full. But if the king comes quickly, then Gaal and his men will be caught between the king and those who are loyal still to Zebul. And so he says, verse 33, it shall be that in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, that you'll rise up early and set upon the city. And behold, when he and the people that are with him come out against you, then you can do against him as you find occasion. You do whatever you want to do with him because he won't have the whole city behind him. And so Abimelech takes his advice and leaves immediately. Verse 34, and Abimelech rose up and all the people that were with him by night. It's not very far where Abimelech lived, not very far at all. And Abimelech rose up and all the people that were with him by night, and they laid wait against Shechem in four companies. I want you to file that away, that he separates them into four companies. It's interesting, to me at least. The idea, of course, is so they'll escape notice. No one will notice this big, huge army trampling through the valley coming up to Shechem. And they laid in wait there. It means to lurk around in an area semi-secret. They're not like hiding with camouflage and all that. They're just kind of lurking around. They're not making their presence known. This is not going to be something where they're going to try to surprise Gaal. They're going to fight in the morning. Their hope is to catch Gaal before he can take the city so that he doesn't have walls to run behind. So verse 35. And Gaal, the son of Abed, went out, and he stood in the entering into the gate of the city. So in the morning he comes out, and he comes in the gates, and Abimelech rose up and all the people that were with him from lying in wait. Now they're advancing upon the city. And so when Gaal saw the people, he comes to Zebul, who he doesn't think is against him at this point certainly not resisting at this point. He says, behold, there are people that have come down from the top of the mountains. But Zebul says unto him, ah, you're just seeing the shadow of the mountains as if it was men. I don't see anybody out there. You're just spooked, man. Gaal sees four different groups heading toward the city, but Zebul initially makes it as if he's imagining things. But then in verse 37, then Gaal spoke again and said, see, it's not just one group of people coming down. He says there are people coming down by the middle of the land, another company coming up by the plain of Mehon Enim. And so then Zebul said unto him, Where is now your mouth wherewith you said, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Is not this the people that you have now despised? He's come out to fight you, man. Go out, I pray now, and fight with him. When it's clear that soldiers are indeed advancing upon the city, Zebul challenges Gaal to be the leader he's claimed to be at the festival. And having no time to prepare for a siege, Gaal takes a bait and he goes to fight Abimelech. It says, verse 39, And Gaal went out before the men of Shechem and he fought with Abimelech, but it does not go well. Verse 40, And Abimelech chased him and he fled before him, and many were overthrown and wounded even unto the entering of the gate. So Gaal's men are whipped, so they flee back to the city. Now it says here in Abimelech, verse 41, he sees no reason to rush to fight a foe behind walls. So he camps here, it says, he dwelt at Aruma, a village close by. So Abimelech dwelt at Aruma, but when they come running back to the city, Zebul thrust out Gaal and his brethren that they should not dwell in Shechem. He still had enough men at this point 
whoever had survived the battle, that he would not let them in, and he removed them by force from the city. So Zebul shows where his true loyalties lie. Problem solved, right? Bimelech can just move on. <laughs> not quite. You see, the people of Shechem were the ones who instigated this betrayal by trying to assassinate him. And then they were robbing his caravans, taking money from his treasury. So Gaal was just the one who ignited it into a full-blown rebellion. So while Abimelech didn't do anything about these robberies before, he decides to deal with all of Shechem now, verse 42. And it came to pass on the morrow that the people went out into the field. They're just going out to harvest, to finish the harvest. They think everything's fine. And it was told to Abimelech, scouts told him, the people are out in the fields. And so as he says, he took the people, his soldiers, and he divided them into how many companies this time? Again, file that away, three companies. And he laid wait in the field and looked and behold, the people were come out out of the city. And when they did, it says he rose up against them and smote them. And Abimelech and the company that was with him, so remember there's three groups, so one of them was with him. They rushed forward and stood in the entering of the gate of the city to cut off any retreat. And the other two companies ran upon all the people that were in the fields and killed them. Though Shechem is done rebelling, Abimelech sets a trap for them from three sides, likely seeing himself as following in his father Gideon's footsteps. Because isn't that what Gideon did? Divided his army into three forces to fight the Midianites? And yet, whereas Gideon was fighting soldiers, Abimelech's killing farmers. While everyone's working out in the fields, he springs his trap, and it was a slaughter. And he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 45. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and he took the city and slew the people that were therein and beat down the city and sowed it with salt. Abimelech went into the city, and he begins killing everybody in sight. It says he beat down the buildings. It means to pull down the walls and the buildings. Every structure there, he pulled it down, burned it to the ground, and he sowed all of the city, the ruins, with salt. When he sowed a city with salt, it was a symbolic action done by generals or soldiers saying that Shechem is worthless, not good for anything anymore, can't even plant anything there. The city of Shechem would not be rebuilt for almost 200 years. Now, while this is going on, the leaders run to the only place they think they'll be safe, their pagan temple. Surely the king will respect the house of a god, right? It says in verse 46, I mean, all the men of the tower, these are the leaders, those who are in the, the palace on the raised dirt mound. When all the men of the tower of Shechem heard that, they entered into a hold of the house of the god Bereth. And it was told Abimelech and all the men of the tower of Shechem, all their leaders were gathered together there. And so Abimelech, he got him up to Mount Zalmon, he and all the people that were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand, and he cut down a bow. A bow would be a branch that's small enough to carry, but big enough to start a fire. He cut it down, took it, and laid it on his shoulder, and said unto all the people that were with him, and said, well, you've seen me do. Hurry up, make haste, and do just what I've done. So all the people likewise cut down every man his bow, and they followed Abimelech, and they put them, they took all these branches, all this firewood, and they put it to the hold. And they set the hold on fire upon them so that all the men of the tower of Shechem died also, about a thousand men and women. Now that's a big temple, a big pagan temple. 
So sad that such a thing would exist in Israel. Now, Shechem's gone. And so the men of Shechem reaped what they sowed, right? God judged them. But then it looks like Abimelech gets away with the sin, right? Not quite. Story's not over yet. Verse 50. Then went Abimelech to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it, took it. Thebes is about 13 miles northeast of Shechem. It's the next major city on the way back to his hometown. Apparently, others didn't like his reign either. So Abimelech says, yeah, I'm in the mood. Let's wipe them out too. Do you see what a mess Abimelech has made by leaning on his own understanding? This is what happens when you lean on your own understanding. Because even if you get what you want, look at what's destroyed in the process. Lots of things. Precious things. Now, it says to us, verse 51, But there was a strong tower inside the city, and thither fled all the men and the women, and all they of the city, and they shut it to them, and they got them up to the top of the tower. So anyone who had survived the capture in the city, they fled to this tower and went up to the top of that. So Abimelech says, I've done this before, and he decides to burn them to death too. Well, it doesn't work this time. Look at verse 52. And Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it, and he went hard under the door of the tower to burn it with fire. The word there means he went close. Probably went down, cut some more trees down, and he's there to lay the first branch. But notice verse 53. And a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. It completely shattered his head. Now, the millstone here is the upper millstone. It's only about 10 inches wide, could easily be held by one person. And it mentions it's a piece, so it's not even the whole thing. So it's just a chunk of rock. Wouldn't be hard to hold at all. And so she hurls it down. She's got great aim and took care of his melon. And he's there dying. And notice verse 54. Then he called hastily because he's probably ready to die right at that moment. But he doesn't want to die that way. Then he called hastily unto the young man who was his armor bearer and said unto him, Draw your sword and slay me, so that men do not say of me a woman slew him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. Here's what's sad. As he's dying... His primary concern is what? Not repentance, not regret. We see the same arrogance that we actually saw somewhere else earlier in Judges, didn't we? Do you remember when the two kings of Midian were captured by Gideon? And Gideon told his son to kill him? And they said, oh, don't have the boy kill us. You kill us. For as the strength of the man is, so is he. I don't want to be said that some kid killed us. Let it be said of us that we died in battle against your leader. Arrogance to the very end. You're not like your father, Abimelech. You're like the heathen. Not like your father at all. Abimelech tried to imitate his father in so many ways, but he was missing everything else that shaped his father's life. And see, guys, this is the problem with not finishing well. Your kids, your grandkids, the next generation of the church, none of them have had your experiences with God. So when you make a little compromise, it may not destroy your faith. You know God's real. You know he's good. You know his word is true. And you know that it needs to be followed, generally speaking. But if they've never learned that, 
all they see and imitate is your compromises. There is no retirement for the Christian. There's no, well, it's not a big deal. It's not a big sin. There could be no compromise with any of God's commands. Do we fail? Yes. But we can never justify it and go on living like it's no big deal. You see, Gideon's later failures didn't just cost him his family. It cost an entire generation's faith. So finish well. (laughs) Finish well. God loves you. And his word is worth following all the way to the end. Guys, let's show the next generation those truths so that they will follow in those footsteps and not our compromises because we've paid our dues, because we've done the hard stuff already. You know what I've learned? Or I'm learning? It doesn't get easier as I get older. If I take the trajectory of my Christian life over 45 years, I know that's not much, but I take the trajectory of my Christian life. It's not been this thing where it's like, man, it was hard getting saved, you know, and then we had some bridges to cross, but now we're going to start going down. Now we're on smooth ground. We just kind of sail. I found there's new enemies, new giants to conquer, new walled cities to storm, bigger armies, bigger challenges. It doesn't get easier. So you want to be a Christian. It doesn't get easier. Because our enemy never stops. Well, with their king dead, it's like everyone looks around and becomes sane again. Look at verse 55. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. They departed every man unto his place. Yeah, they don't think we need to burn any more cities down. Thus, God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his father, in slaying his 70 brothers. You weren't like your father, Abimelech. You did wrong to your father. God also rendered all the evil the men of Shechem did God render upon their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. So here's the truth. God is still king, even when wicked people run in things. Still king. And he'll deal with them in his own time. My job is to lean on him as a solution like Gideon had. In the good years. I'm not to lean on other people and certainly not to lean on my own understanding. There's that verse that comes right after that, the famous ones, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths, right? And then there's that next one that we don't memorize in Proverbs 3, 7. In Proverbs 3, 7, it brings up the problem of judges, the problem of why we need Jesus to be reigning in our lives. It says, be not wise in your own eyes. Isn't that the problem in Judges? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So leaning on your own understanding is the same thing as doing what's right in your own eyes. The Bible equates the two things. And the only solution for that is to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, you might be thinking, I could have learned that lesson just by reading Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. I didn't need to read this mess of a chapter. Why is it here? I mean, everybody's evil in this. There's no good guys. And everybody dies. This chapter, 9, is here because it serves as a warning. 
Don't let this happen to you. That's why it's here. It's an easy track to get on. The way you stay off it is to lean on the Lord. Trust what he says instead of doing what's right in your own eyes. So my final question to you is, what are you leaning on? (laughs) What are you leaning on? Lord, we read chapters like this and it's, man, it's depressing. I think how many had to die because of so much wickedness. Where was someone to stand up and to say, this is wrong? I mean, the one guy who did, he had to run for his life. Where was the righteous man? Lord, we don't find one. And that's a sober warning to show us that if we just kind of let things go and live how we want, we can very easily get there and we can end up destroying the things that are around us that we hold dear. So Lord, we don't want that. We want to take heed to the warning. So Lord, burn this passage of scripture in our minds, even though it's not one that we're excited to read or happy to go through. Lord, we pray you'd burn it in our minds and our hearts so that we would not ever make those kind of compromises or at least justify them. Lord, we all fail. We thank you for your grace. But that we would never justify those failures and walk in compromise. But rather, we'd redeem the time, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. We can't do that on our own. We yield ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.